we've also raised money in this light as a commercial company from some amazing investors in uh, different parts of the world who are really passionate about what we're doing and excited about the potential of creating this marketplace and industry around reef restoration. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 92. I am so excited to introduce to you today's guest. His name is Gator Halpern, and he worked on international development projects in Peru, Brazil, and South Africa before co-founding Coral Vida, a mission-driven company that is working to restore our world's dying coral reefs. Gator is a Forbes 30 under 30 social entrepreneur, a United Nations young champion of the earth, and he currently lives and works in the Bahamas, really on the front lines of this issue, where Coral Vida has just built the world's first commercial land-based coral reef farm for restoration purposes. In this conversation, you'll hear all about how Gator first got involved with this issue, why he and his co-founder decided to make Coral Vita a for-profit business instead of a non-profit business, which is really fascinating and is really all around their drive to create an entire industry of reef restoration that has the power and the scale to solve this issue on a global level. It's truly phenomenal the work that Gator is doing in the world, and I couldn't be more excited to share his story. Before we jump in, if you are getting value from this podcast, I would love to know who you are and what you do. So shoot me a DM on Instagram or on Facebook and let me know that you're listening to the show. It would mean the world to hear from you, and I am so grateful for every minute of your attention. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Gator Halpern. Gator, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dorothy. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to uh, chat with you a bit and hopefully your your audience enjoys it. Awesome. Well, let's dive straight into your story. You know, Set the stage for us. What was life like for you growing up and what was the mindset around money and success that was instilled in you as a child? So I grew up in a, in a very loving, awesome family in San Diego, California, spending as much time as I could on the beach and in the waves and always had a deep connection to the ocean and to nature in general. Uh, was privileged enough growing up that we didn't have to worry too much about uh, money or some, you know, some of the financial difficulties that other families have to face. But that kind of made it so that my family wasn't so focused on instilling a value of going out, earning money, supporting what you need to do. We were comfortable enough that I had the privilege to be encouraged to do what I loved, what I enjoyed, to pursue my passions. And uh, both my parents from the start were fairly adamant that we didn't kind of pursue traditional careers of, of being a lawyer or being a, a doctor or, you know, not that there's anything wrong with those pursuits, but we were always encouraged to 
figure out what made us happy, what made us fulfilled in life and try to make that happen. And so what really made me the happiest and, and what I became passionate about from a young age was environmental issues, being in nature, being in the ocean. And so I have been able to kind of craft my career and my lifestyle around those issues that I care deeply about. So I know that you met your co-founder of Coral Vita when you were both pursuing this master of environmental management at Yale. So you know, I'm curious, what made you decide to go back to school and pursue that degree? What was the impetus? Uh, so I've always enjoyed school and studying before getting a master's degree at Yale. I uh, did environmental science as an undergrad and was deeply involved in doing a number of different research projects dealing with mostly development in foreign countries in South America and South Africa, and seeing how different development projects are affecting communities and affecting the environment and the kind of scientific pursuit that allowed me to research these topics that I thought were very interesting while also being able to travel and experience different cultures and different ways of living uh, really was a an eye-opener for me into what matters in my life and what I feel like matters in the world. And grad school was a way that I could not only continue doing that in the present while I was in school, but also build up the tools and the expertise so that I could build a career and a lifestyle that included being able to experience different places, different cultures, and deal with this you know environmental issue that i think is is so pressing in our in our current time and so it seemed like a great fit to uh bring together what i really care about and and where i wanted to go yeah well let's dig into this issue a little bit so you know why is this this problem of coral reef degradation the issue that you decided to really center your efforts on in, in your career i didn't actually focus in on coral reefs until maybe midway through my program at Yale, my master's degree. Before that, I did a wide range of different, mostly terrestrial, scientific, environmental projects dealing with watersheds and deforestation and some aquaculture, fish farming, actually, in the Amazon, different agricultural land use change. So I've always been passionate about the environment in general, and I feel like it is uh, a huge issue, maybe the largest issue that our generation faces. And even since high school, I've been kind of focused on the environment in general. But then it was in grad school that I really narrowed it down to coral reefs as this issue I'm, I'm tackling currently. Um, and that came through a bit of, you know, my original love being the ocean, being in the water, in the waves as much as possible. I also was learning about how coral reefs are really at the forefront of climate change. They're kind of the canaries in the coal mine that we're watching die in front of us as we, um, you know, know the risks are, are to all ecosystems as this first one is kind of collapsing. I also teamed up with my co-founder, Sam, who taught me a bit about reef restoration and the possibilities of being able to bring a reef back to life. He actually was able to do a small restoration project in Mauritius. 
before he came and, and did our grad school program together. And when I heard about that being possible and how, you know, we could make a significant impact on this, this huge issue that I cared deeply about, we kind of dove in head first and, and things have snowballed from there till here we are about four years later. And, and we are next week opening the world's first commercial land-based coral farm here in the Bahamas. Wow. That is absolutely unbelievable. You know, so I guess just backing up a little bit for anyone listening who maybe isn't, you know, as aware of this issue, could you give us just the brief overview of, you know, why coral reefs are so important to, you know, our planet and then also, you know, what this process of coral reef restoration actually looks like? Not enough people really realize what's happening in coral reefs and why it's such an important issue that we need to address urgently in, in a global way. It's a really scary time when it comes to ocean health in general, but particularly coral reefs. These uh, magical ecosystems are one of the world's most important environments. They actually only cover... I think it's 0.1% of the ocean floor, but in that tiny footprint, they are home to a quarter of all marine life, all the species that exist in the ocean. 25% of them exist in coral reefs, even though they're you know, only 0.1% of the area. Um, so they're one of the most biodiverse habitats in the world, if not the most biodiverse. All the, you know, most of the fish in the tropics depend upon coral reefs for breeding and for rearing their young. And so the fisheries collapse if coral reefs die, being a huge food security issue. There are also natural seawalls. So coastal properties are at risk from erosion and waves and increasing storm surges have been ravaging communities along coastlines. And the natural barrier that protects those communities is a coral reef. So a wave before it breaks on the beach, actually breaks on the coral reef offshore. And so they have a huge coastal protection benefit that's associated with a healthy coral reef. And then also they are drivers of tourism economies all over the world. So people going to snorkel, scuba dive and see these beautiful coral reefs are one of the biggest industries in nations like the Bahamas where I work. And so all told, coral reefs generate conservatively, like the most conservative estimate is $30 billion a year for society. And all of that value is at risk to being lost, not to mention the beautiful organisms and the species that exist in coral reefs, because coral reefs are dying at frightening rates. We've already lost 50% of the world's coral reefs have already died in just the past few decades. If things continue progressing as, as they have been, scientists project that over 90% of the world's reefs will be dead by 2050. So in just a, a few more decades, most of the reefs in the world will be wiped out. And all of those values, the fisheries production, the coastal protection, the tourism, and the incredible biodiversity will be wiped off the earth if we don't act urgently to both conserve the reefs and make sure that we stop killing them. So dealing with climate change, dealing with pollution, dealing with overfishing, 
they're all very complicated problems that many people are trying to address and that we urgently need to as a society in general. But then we also need to actively restore these reefs, which is what we're doing at Coral Vita, is actually growing coral in farms and then planting these coral back into the reefs, similar to a a reforestation project where you plant trees and you can watch a forest come back to life. We grow corals and then plant those back into the reefs. And as soon as you plant them back there, the ecosystem services of that area are uh, revived. And so that is the short version, although I know it wasn't too short of, of what we do. Well, I mean, it's it's absolutely fascinating and horrifying, right? All at the same time. I mean, I think when we're talking about the environment and climate change and, and all of these problems, there's so many different problems that are underneath that umbrella. And then to, as I was preparing for this interview, you know, I am very passionate about environmental causes. It's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about, but coral reef restoration and, and the the reefs dying is something that I had never, you know, really learned about or, or thought about. And so it's just, it's really eye-opening to discover, you know, this whole other area, you know, of of just horrifying concern. And, you know, the fact that all of these issues are are really, they're really intermingled, right? You know, they're all feeding each other and you know, our oceans have so much biodiversity. You know, there are so many millions and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people around the world that depend on our oceans for their livelihood and, you know, for their food, just like you mentioned. And so, you know, I think one thing that is inspiring in, you know, the in the face of all of this challenge is the fact that entrepreneurship really does have the the power to you know work in a positive way towards solving some of these issues um, which is exactly what you're doing with with Coral Vita. So, you know, talk to me about this process that you went through with your co-founder of getting this company off the ground, formulating the idea, formulating the business plan. You know, how did you take this goal of restoring coral reefs and turn that into an actual business? Yeah, so it was definitely a long journey with many ups and downs as most entrepreneurial journeys seem to be. But while we were in grad school, we kind of had that vision you talked of. Can we restore these reefs at, at grand scales? And when we started looking into how people are currently restoring reefs, what the pros and cons are of that, we saw that a lot of great work is being done all over the world to do what's traditionally done as in-ocean coral farms, where you basically hang corals off of either PVC pipe nurseries or string them on ropes, and you watch the corals grow, and you plant them back around. And a number of organizations, uh, nonprofits are doing this. The Coral Restoration Foundation does great work. The Nature Conservancy has a program. And uh, a handful of other organizations have kind of showed us that you could do these community-based projects and restore a local, bring it back to life, and that really can make an impact. Can we bring what they're doing all over the world? Can we play some role to help really scale this up and make an impact? And it quickly became clear that while what traditional reef restoration organizations are doing is is essential and, and needs to be a part of what we're doing, It also faces a number of limitations that mean that it's going to be nearly impossible to 
make a significant difference on how huge of an issue this is. We're talking about half the world's reefs already dead, you know, 90% dying soon. We need to really have something that's gigantic. We need to be putting billions of dollars, create an industry into reef restoration to really match the size of the need. And then there's also a number of scientific issues that need to be figured out if we are to really scale this up and make this more holistic from an environmental standpoint. And so one of the issues that we thought we needed to address first off is the in-ocean coral nurseries. The corals grow relatively slowly when you compare them to a tree. You know, a coral can grow for thousands of years and in a hundred years, it might be the size of, you know, a beach ball. You can't really wait around for a hundred years until a coral's big to grow it out there. Uh, and so traditionally, they've only used, reef restoration organizations have only used the fastest growing species of coral because that kind of works on our time set. But that doesn't cut it when you're trying to restore a reef and bring the entire ecosystem back to life. You need the slower growing kind of bouldering species of corals that form the foundation of the reef. In order to address that, we ended up teaming up with Dr. David Vaughn, who was at the Moat Marine Lab at the time, and he helped develop a technique called microfragmentation. Sorry if I'm getting a little technical here, but that allows us to actually accelerate coral growth rates by up to 50 times how fast they grow in nature, basically enabling us to grow a dinner plate-sized brain coral, say, in about a year. Whereas on the reef, that same size coral would take uh, about 50 years to reach that size. Um, and so it really unlocks the ability to grow a wide range of coral species and, and have diversity in our outplants so that we can grow here at our farm about a dozen species of coral that we're planting out on the reef, different types, big bouldering corals, flat plating corals, branching corals, whereas... Um, most organizations around only are growing those fast-growing branching species. So that's one of the big things that kind of made us gain momentum in this journey we were talking about of being able to start this company. We're bringing on these scientists, not only Dr. Vaughn, but also we started this, this deep relationship with uh, the late Dr. Ruth Gates, who is at the forefront of a technique called assisted evolution. So what we do is actually take the corals we have and build a tolerance into the different genotypes of coral so that they can survive the warmer and more acidic oceans that are killing them, threatening their survival back on the reef. And so in our tanks, we do a kind of high-tech process where we can crank up the heat, crank up the acidity, watch how the corals are doing, and slowly acclimate them to what scientists project these corals are going to be experiencing back out on the reef in 2050 or 2070 or 2100 and actually create corals that are far more likely to survive and thrive out on the reef while others are um, suffering because the temperatures are getting warmer and warmer. I mean, where does the funding come from? Are governments paying Coral Vita to do this work? Is it grant-based? Tell me about that. Right. So we are a commercial company. And like I said, we're trying to create an industry around reef restoration. And there's a range of stakeholders that benefit hugely from having a healthy reef. And we 
are making the business case to those organizations, whether they be uh, hotels or cruise lines developing different cruise ports or you know, dredging companies that might be damaging reefs and we can mitigate the damages. Or like you said, governments whose national interests are tied to reef health all the way up to insurance companies because there's a huge coastal protection value. So the protecting you know, properties, coastal properties along the coastline is a big economic play into reef restoration. And so there's a number of different customers out there that provide revenue streams. We also are, have our farms because they are these on-land farms. They're ecotourism attractions themselves. So guests come through, tour the farm, have a bit of a experience, kind of like an aquarium. And then anyone out there who wants to can actually go on our website and adopt a coral as well. And we'll grow a coral and plant it for you and send a kind of certificate of adoption in the mail back to you. But we've also raised money in this light as a commercial company from some amazing investors in uh, different parts of the world who are really passionate about what we're doing and excited about the potential of creating this marketplace and industry around reef restoration. Yeah. So talk to me about this decision to you know, make, uh, make Coral Vita a commercial company rather than a nonprofit. Because you know, I think that that is a really powerful decision in a positive way um, in, in many directions. And so for anyone listening who you know, might have interest in you know, really attacking a large-scale problem like this from the entrepreneurial perspective, talk me through you know, how you made that determination, that decision in the beginning. Definitely. So we put a lot of thought into how we were going to structure the company, whether it be a for-profit, a non-profit, or a hybrid with both kind of somewhere in the middle. And in the end, we decided very consciously that we want to pursue this from a a for-profit angle and be a, a fully commercial company because we think there's a lot of amazing work being done on the nonprofit side of reef conservation and reef restoration. But without a commercial industry developing, the issue is too huge to be funded by donations and grants and to have kind of the nonprofit bureaucracy of trying to figure out how to restore these reefs in order to really make the the impact that we need to in the next 10 years, 15 years, which is really a a key time period when we're talking about saving these these coral reefs, we need to inject a lot of capital, a lot of energy and thought into this space. And uh, there's nothing that's proven more powerful in in our day and age than a commercial marketplace, I don't think. And so we're trying to take, you know, the the power of of capitalism in the commercial market and harness it into something that's actually doing something positive for the world and making the impact that we need to. And so kind of a mission-driven company where our first priority is not the highest dividends for everyone. Our first priority is saving as much reef as possible. And all our investors, before we are taking anyone's money, they need to agree that we will be able to make the returns we want because we're making the impact that we need to. And so that's the angle we're taking on reef restoration, which is um, a bit different than the, the normal organization out there. 
Yeah. I, you know, I appreciate you going into that because I think there's a lot of power in what you're talking about here. I mean, really our society is, is built on capitalism for better or for worse. And when you have an, a problem of this scale, you're exactly right. You know, donations are only going to go so far. And so the way that you've created this company that is you know, for profit, for cause in such a powerful way, you know, it, it gives you it gives you leverage to be able to attack this problem, you know, at the scale that it really needs to be attacked. So tell me, how do you market the business? You know, obviously for a lot of the people that you talked about, you know, governments, resorts, you know, the the people who are causing some of these issues with the dredging, this is a problem that is I would assume not necessarily immediate for them. Um, it's more, you know, if we don't do something about this, it, these disasters are going to happen. So, how have you, you know, focused your marketing efforts to get these stakeholders to recognize the urgency of the problem and then to take action on it with their wallets? So it's definitely a really tricky part of our business, and and what we're doing is that not only are we starting a, a new company, but we're also kind of starting a new marketplace where no one out there is selling the service of reef restoration to these stakeholders we're going to. And so there's uh, a challenge of educating the potential client on the benefits that they receive from pursuing something like reef restoration and why it's so important to their industry or their hotel or their nation, if it happens to be a government. But more and more stakeholders are becoming really knowledgeable about what's happening with coral reefs. And a lot of organizations and industries are very closely in line and related to the health of the reef. And so there's some low hanging fruit there where whether it be a eco resort hotel or, or a cruise line or someone else who has witnessed this reef decline, it's really blatant and obvious how much reefs are dying and how there's a lot of people who have seen reefs over the past couple of decades go from beautiful, thriving, awesome ecotourism spot or shoreline protection. And now it's a, a rubble field of, of dead coral that provides no utility really. And so starting with the customers and the industries that already understand the issue and acknowledge that it would be great to have a reef is kind of those low-hanging fruit that I talk about. And for us, that happens to, to be a lot in the ecotourism space and in the kind of development space for these, these coastal developments that are ongoing throughout the tropics. Um, and working from there up towards the larger fish like the, the governments and the insurance companies, although those are some huge players that we've already started a lot of conversations with and put in a lot of legwork as far as meeting with government officials and insurance executives. And um, I'm happy to say that they're all really excited about the possibilities of, of doing this kind of work. While the lead time of some of those projects ends up being a lot longer uh, it's definitely in the works, and we hope to have kind of much larger scale projects coming online over the years ahead as we inch along in the in the shorter term with the uh, more closely connected 
tourism and development and um, mitigation side of things that I was talking about. So Gator, is there hope for our coral reefs? Like assuming that these stakeholders do jump on board and, and really, you know, put the resources necessary behind this, you know, is it possible to restore coral reefs to the degree that they need to be restored? I'm not going to sugarcoat it and tell you that uh, we're going to be totally fine. But I am happy to say that there is plenty of hope that we can make a lot of difference. I don't think it'll be easy or maybe possible to get coral reefs to be what they used to be 100 years ago everywhere in the world. And I'll be the first to tell you that not every reef is possible to be restored. But if we're able to create uh, uh, industry around reef restoration and really align stakeholders to put our efforts and funding into reef restoration and reef conservation, we can sustain beautiful coral reef ecosystems to bring reefs back to life that have been suffering for decades and to manage them much better so that islands like the one I live on here in the Bahamas can continue to benefit hugely from having a thriving, healthy coral reef system. There's no doubt in my mind that we can make that happen and that we can sustain reefs well into the future if we're able to um, put the, the time, the effort, and the, the funding where it needs to go. Well, Gator, I mean, let me just say, I really could not be more thrilled to have you on the show because I think that you are someone who just maybe more so than anyone I've interviewed, I mean, really embodies this ideal of creating a business around a real problem that we have in our world and taking the sort of massive action that is required to to actually work towards a solution. And, you know, the fact that you have funneled this passion of yours into a business and into an entrepreneurial solution, I think is is really inspiring for you know all of us who get the opportunity to you know to watch it. So you know thank you for that. And you know I want to move into really my final question for you, which is as you know, here on the show we have what I call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. Could you tell me what organization you're nominating and why? Well, first off, thanks so much for your kind words. It really means a lot. And thank you for sharing our story and other amazing stories with, stories with your listeners. I would love to shout out one organization that is doing a lot of amazing work in the world. Some, some friends of mine at livingonone.org. I encourage you all to uh, check out their work. They make documentaries and tell stories of different communities around the world and help raise money for different people living on less than a dollar a day. Or currently, I think they're doing refugees and, and immigrants and really have done some, some amazing work. Would also be great guests on the podcast if you, you get a chance. Amazing. <laughs> Lastly, Gator, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about your work with Coral Vita and to you know, keep on track with what you're doing? So you can find us on all the kind of social media platforms. We are at Coral Vita Reefs. Coral Vita Reefs on Facebook or Instagram is, is two great ways to find us. And our website is coralvita.co. So .co. 
and a lot of information on there about what we do and, and how you can maybe even take part. So uh, please do check it out. And hopefully before too long, you and the rest of your visitors can come down to Grand Bahama and, and see <laughs> our farm here in Freeport and even come plant a coral with us someday. Well, I would certainly love to take you up on that. Gator, it has been such an honor to have you today. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, everyone. That's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.